Hi, my name is Simran Kamboj, and I'm the president and CTO of Windfall Geotech. Joining me is Nathan Tribble, who is a member of our board, also VP Exploration and Gatling Exploration. And Windfall is a market leader in machine learning and AI, using machine learning and AI in early exploration. We, we use all of the data that we can that a geo would use, but we can cut through a lot more to be able to show anomalies and mineralization. And we've been around for 15 years and have proven ourselves and have proof in the pudding. Thank you very much for the introduction. Um, Nathan, nice to have you on the call as well. Um, and really nice to meet uh, Windfall Geotech. I'm looking forward to learning more about your company in the next half an hour. Nice to be here as well, Marilyn. Yes, nice to meet you. So AI, um, 15 years ago, did the internet exist 15 years ago? I mean, I'm not sure even computers were around. I mean, we, what were you doing? Kind of working on an abacus back then. <laughs> exactly. It feels like we were in the Stone Ages 15 years ago now, right? Uh, and I think that's the brilliance of uh, our company, at least. It's been grounded in a lot of research and development that has come with proof and taken a long time to get here. And it's unfortunate, but in the mining industry, that's what it takes. Uh, you know, in another industry where I've used AI in the past to imagine it's photos or chat or whatever, you'll get feedback on whether you're saying the right thing or not, or the AI is doing the right thing. And in mining, you have to wait the whole cycle. You have to be able to provide a target. The company has to be able to do exploration and go through all the stages to be able to get to an operating mine. And we're lucky, lucky enough for one of the first AI companies to have an operating mine based on our work. And I think, uh, that's that's part of what makes us good. We feel like we have the substance and the technology. We have the experience. We've proven ourselves. And for us, uh, now the next step is to make sure we, we become another part of the tool that every geologist uses in their early exploration program. It's, it's, um, oh, you touched on so many so many interesting things there. One is the length of time that it takes to get a mineral project off the, up, and, up and running and off the ground. And it's, it's great that you've... One of the projects you've worked on is now an operating mine. So in a sense, that proof of concept has gone all the way through to uh, a developing operation, a developed operation, which is great. But I'm also, sorry, I was just processing the, the fact that you've been around for 15 years. So that means you were formed in 2007. And wasn't that the year that the first iPhone came out and Google was formed? I mean, it, was that the year? Is, is, is that about yeah, right? That was the year that iPhone was came out, but Google was formed earlier than that. Okay. Um, but it is really like the way if you put it that way, it really boggles your mind, right? Like, wow, we were around before the iPhone because, you know, that's the company's been around even longer. It's just that I think the official spin off or whatever happened 15 years ago. But no, that if you put it once you put it that way, it really makes you think how much progress the mining industry needs to be able to do to bring technology mm. to the forefront to to not replace jobs, but to use it as an advantage so that they, they can modernize the processes. And I think part of this happens because there's cycles in mining and there's a lot of money sometimes, there's not a lot of money other times. And, but, but, I, but I think that that is a testament to our technology, being able to stand to the, the test of time and knowing that we have examples that have gone back to 2010, but also have examples in 2021 that have the same outcome. And what we care about here is the most about is the outcome. Can we generate an outcome for our business? You know, there's a lot of buzz in AI, but at the end of the day, can we able, are we able to use what AI is providing as a business outcome? If yes, that's the real value, right? But prior to that, you're just, you're just uh, sharing ideas, but being able to show technical outcome. And then, you know, what we have to do also now is show business outcomes so we can get on the same page as uh, some of the other providers in the industry. And we can see other people seeing us as the default, as a tool that we, everyone should use because it makes your life easier. About about a year ago, I sat on a panel. Um, we were talking about kind of discoveries and, and, and work on and, you know, what are the tools that you need to make those big discoveries. And one of the questions was, um, 
AI, you know, how important is it? And what, what's, that, that, what's its role going to be in the next phase of discovery? And the answer from one of the other panelists, who was a, a, an Australian professor, was that it works best in data-rich environment. And that when you're in a, in a data-poor environment, like some of the frontier exploration areas, for example, I mean, I'm working in Ecuador, and I'm, I'm traveling next week to an area where we are the first geologists. You know, we are getting the first bit of data together. Um, whereas uh, perhaps some of your other clients would be working in a much more data-rich and a near-mine environment where there's uh, layers of historic data that you can compile and process. Um, uh, could you perhaps comment on the on the efficacy or the 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 um, the way that AI can operate in be applied in a data poor environment and how it works in a data rich environment, you know, perhaps those, those end members and the, the gradations in between. Yeah. Merlin, your, your Intel is definitely right. Uh, the data, our technology and most AI technology will be good in uh, highly data rich environments. I mean, and, that, that is definitely a dependency for AI. However, that's just stage one, right? The first problem you want to solve is the most obvious one with the lot of data so we can get to the next one, which is, hey, what happens when we don't have a lot of data? And of course, we don't have today a product to announce that can do that, but we understand that's the limitation. However, even if you just look at near mine operations and brownfield operations uh, and amount of data that's available, it, it, it's fascinating to us how many companies can take advantage of a technology like AI? Because let's be honest, even if you do an exploration in a greenfield area, most of the time, a mine is found next to a mine. A mine is found in a brownfield area, right? And for you as an as an operator of an exploration company or, or a mining company to get an advantage, to use that data that might just be lying in your cabinet somewhere, not using it, we think is uh, it's a bit silly because you're like, hey, look, we have all this data. You poured in so much so many millions of dollars trying to gather the data why don't we actually take advantage of it and the second thing is i, I you know there's that's definitely a limitation it's a guardrail we provide to all of our clients before they come to us is hey give us your data let's review it if you can't do it we're not going to say hi we can do it and not, not leave you disappointed because one of the stories we've heard uh talking to some of the larger players is that they've been burnt by ai and part of that is nuisance the like how early the market was the hype was relative to the outcomes that they they could deliver and, and part of that challenge is we don't want to burn the reputation because we feel like ai is the future in, in geology not necessarily the only thing we do but a big part of that stack of technologies that a early geologist exploration geologists would use and that's part of the reason we do this where we say look we'll do a free evaluation look at your data not not be able to touch it but not be able to do anything with it unless we understand that we can provide you value. But, but I think you can see a future where we are going to try techniques that allow us to work in uh, lower data environments with a high certainty. And I think that's already happened to a certain extent. We have an example of a company called Playfair and they're, they're out of Norway and they, they didn't really have a, a lot of data. They didn't have any, any drill data, for example, but we were stable, still able to help them. But in that case, we would call that very, very early exploration. We're giving them 22 targets. They looked at 16 of them, did soil sampling in and around those areas, inspected the geology and realized, yeah, there is something. 16 of the 22 had a positive net results. That means, look, even with low data environments, we're provided, able to provide value. But what happens in those cases is false positive, positive chances are higher. And that's when I worry about saying, being able to say, yeah, we can, we can be available in that environment. So we still need proof in the pudding there, but we, we think there's a massive opportunity for companies that are in brownfield areas to be able to use our tech. 
when I when I look when I, when I work on an exploration project, um, one of the things I like to do is to see um, uh, coincident anomalies, and we we build a um, GIS data set. We build layers of information. We build. Uh, geological information, geographical, uh, you know, a whole range. We look at kind of um, remote um, um, remote sensing images, um, photographs, lidar. You can you, using the geophysics. You put in the the, the the rock geochemistry, the the soil geochemistry, the the faults and the fractures. And um, the, an experienced geologist and a really good geoscientist will look through that data set and will use their experience to pull out the targets. Um, is it? simplistic to say that what AI does, it does that, but better. Yeah, I, I don't, yeah, I don't think it's necessarily simplistic, but it, because it is doing that exactly, except the AI has the ability to look through millions and millions and millions of data points, all of the layers combined, whereas a human might be able to look at one layer compared to the other. And I think Nathan, honestly, is the best example because having been on a board, he's also user technology. And before he even joined the board, he was using the technology and he was impressed by it. That's why we started a relationship. But Nathan, why don't you comment on what happens, I guess, when you're in a round of table of geologists looking at data versus what, what happens when you're looking at our technology? Because you'd be the best uh, example. Yeah, it's an interesting relationship that you have between the data and the geologists, right? So, you know, at the end of the day, the technology, what it does is it takes, like you said, uh, Merlin, is all the data sets that your property has. So geophysics, magnetic signatures, geochemical signatures, faults, spatial data, you know, topo, all that stuff. And it puts it all together. It'd be like sitting at a table of geologists, uh, geophysicists, and you all have your maps and you all have your interpretations. But what the AI can do is it can compress it all at once and look for positive patterns and signatures and essentially clone them and look for areas that have that signature that hasn't been explored yet. So it's really just taking the, the, the best minds and the best data sets that we still need to do. So, you know, we can't just always lean on AI because you do need data to go in. It has to have that data set to go into it. Like, like Simran said earlier, we, we need a specific amount of data in order to do the processing. So what it does, is it just spits out uh, beautiful signatures at the end of the day um, from cloning nearby positive correlations of a magnetic signature that's associated with a fault. Um, and it can, you know, relay it to a different area that hasn't been looked at. So it's really cool. Um, because even after we deliver the signatures and the different areas that we think are high priority, you still need to sit down at that table with everyone again. You know, you still need the geologist, the geophysicist, the exploration manager to interpret what we have given you um, and then set up a next round of exploration, whether it be soils. You know, Norway was very early days, so they did soils. Um, I worked at Metnor where they had drilled a target and defined a, a new resource um, in their underground bulk sampling it now. So that's one that's gone from never been touched to production. Um, it's an excellent example in our, uh, in, in our asset list. So there's multiple examples we can go through. I mean, at the end of the day, we're really proud that it's the, like, the validation is what we're looking for. And we want to work with groups. We want to help teams get discoveries. That's what we're here for. We want to accelerate programs in a sustainable manner. And it works. I mean, we have plenty of validations to go through. We can go through some of the highest ones and we like to participate. Um, Simran will touch on some of the business model, but these are the types of things that we like to, to make you aware of is that, you know, it's not just AI compiling the data and we just give you a target walk away. We like to stay involved. Our technology is intrinsic. I mean, this is a, it's a big step in the, in the evolution of the mining industry, I think.
Um, Simran, you said that uh, Nathan uh, was a client and then has joined the company. I mean, Nathan, do you want to kind of describe that uh, that journey, that process? You know, were, were you working in the company? I mean, I, and I, I don't know if you've got any slides that can illustrate some of your worked examples, but um, oh, there we go. Look at that. Straight in. <laughs> yeah, I just thought, uh, you know, use the picture as a segue to explain what the output our clients get, but also listen to the story because it's funny, uh, you know, a couple of days ago only is when I was, when Nathan was telling us all the story, even though we knew tidbits of it, he completed the whole story. So I think it'd be good uh, for the audience to hear. But before I do that, why don't I just quickly explain what an output looks like and then Nathan can explain in this particular case because he, he was involved in this project before he was involved with Windfall. And I think that was the the, the light for him to say, oh my God, that this, there's something here. Um, so what you're seeing on your screen is an output of what we provide uh, our clients once we have given, received the input data, right? Anything where you see a red or a pink is a higher similarity target versus where you see green is lower similarity, but we still think there's a chance of mineralization there. And in this case, this is a project that we did in 2010 and the Metner Bachelor Lake mine area. And uh, I, I'll take, I'll let Nathan take the story over from here because I think it's interesting. Uh, Nathan, why don't you tell the story and also explain the, the output here for the audience. Sure, thanks. Um, and one more thing to touch on, the green dots that you see, those are what we call um, data points. So this is how the, the similarity model or the heat map signatures that you see, that's how what was driving the force behind it. So um, some of the ones that are yellow are above a certain grade and then the green ones are at a certain grade. So it's how we generate the signatures at the end of the day. So the story goes, um, this work was done in 2010, so 12 years ago, um, and the work kind of, sat on a desk, got filed away. It was unfortunate. Um, I came to Metanor in 2017 um, and I was working with the exploration team on a different project called the Barry, which was just south of here. Um, and I was just going through the database, trying to generate some new targets. And I stumbled across some AI work that was completed and I was really excited about it. And I was like, what? I've never seen this before. And the team led me to, to show me that in 2015, they had drilled an area without looking at the heat signatures, without even <laughs> utilizing the excellent AI work that was provided by Windfall, and they validated the Moroi target. So that would be uh, target A. So in 2015, they drilled 10 grams of 26 meters before even utilizing the data sets. Um, there, there is an explanation for that. Um, so there hang, was hang on. So, so, so Windfall produced that heat map it's, it, does this map date from? Oh no, no, it doesn't. Sorry. So th you produce that heat map. So those signatures, all those um, the the little squares, I'll call them big pixels, but the 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 the, the greens, the oranges, and the reds was produced in two thousand and ten, and then that drill hole went in two thousand and fifteen, without using the without using this map, without reference to this map. Correct. They didn't even know that they validated the project when I came in in twenty seventeen. I was like, hey guys, this worked. You, you were it worked. They also it worked on the on the western side where you see zone diagnosed. They had three samples on surface within um, in the 2010 year. So they did try and explore it a bit in 2010. What happened was is there was a large change of, of management throughout the time. All the data got lost, and it was also in that time where AI was still kind of tucked away in that black box that we've been trying to pull off for years. Um, so people didn't give it what it deserves. 
Um, once I brought it back out, I sat down with the team. I'm like, guys, this worked. Like we have an excellent hit. I mean, 10 grams of 26 meters is nothing to, to shake a feather at. I mean, that's excellent stuff right there. Um, so I kept pushing it forward and eventually it got to the point where they started to look at it. Um, they drilled a whole bunch more drilling at Maroy. Um, they delineated a resource. They've the bachelor mine is just North of the letter a where the really hot pink area is. Yep. Right in there. Yep. And what happened was, is that they've actually drifted underground from their lower level all the way over and they're, they're mining and bulk sampling the Marai zone now. So it's, it's a target that we generated five years before they even drilled it. And, you know, five years after that, they're actually mining it. So it, it takes about, it really does take about 10 years to, you know, to go from exploration to mining. Um, it's, it's a, it's a long path and that's where we, we tend to slide in because we feel that, um, you know, we can accelerate these programs. You know, if, if we only had the right ear at the time, this could have been done a bit earlier. I mean, it took them five years to drill the area. And then even in last year, in 2021, early in March, about a year ago, they decided to drill the other side, the other target, and they hit multiple areas of uh, widespread low-grade mineralization. It's, it's very interesting to see it if you were to throw a geology map on top. Um, these zones are all bounding on, a, on an intrusive granite unit. So the mineralization kind of hugs the edge of this, uh, the intrusion, and you can really see our AI kind of pick that up. And there's multiple validations all over the property. So it's, a, it's an excellent story for, for Metanor to show that the work that was done 12 years ago still holds true, even up to last year's drill program in March. And um, the, the uh, Maroi zone you're saying is an underground bulk sampling exercise. So that's obviously at depth. You know, what, what depth is that? And, and, and could you kind of on the same comment, where is the zone B in depth wise? So zone B, they've just drilled it on surface. They're actually not mining it yet, um, that they're doing surface exploration there. Zone A, which is the Maroi zone, they've only drilled the, the top portion of it down to a certain level. And then the thought process, I believe, um, was that they were going to drift over and use the underground infrastructure for drilling from underground. It's a little bit more uh, inexpensive at the end of the day. So they have delineated the resource and they started to come back up on it. So they've, the, the bachelor sits like this and the Mariah sits like this. They kind of meet at the bottom down here is the thought process. And so they've drifted over and they're starting a bulk sampling area in the Mariah to, to see what the grade holds up um, when they send it to the mill. And, and um, this, this was a tailings facility before, right? Zone A, so, basically? That was kind of why they never really went back and drilled the area was because you can kind of see it just to the right of the letter A. Um, that's the tails from the mill. So um, it was an area where it was probably condemned maybe a little bit more easterly in the actual intrusion, but they never followed up on the, you know, the edge proximal to it, which is where all the mineralization occurs, which is where our target is. So it, it's, it's just funny to, to go back where it's from now and see the process that took them to get to the Marais zone when they could have probably had it five years earlier. Thanks. Um, Simran, probably um, could you drop there? Thank you. Um, Nathan, the, well, either of you really, the, 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 the anomalies that are created when you, when you um, uh, review a geophysical anomaly uh, or a geophysical survey, you can cut the data. You can kind of do a projection down to certain depths. Is that a similar um, feature or function that you can use um, on this AI kind of heat map that you do? Can you kind of look, do searches at different uh, depths or is it always just kind of a projection onto surface? We can project to depth and it's all based on what the survey can do. Um, so the majority of the time we can go down to about, say, Rand, correct if I'm wrong, 200 meters below surface. Um, and that's, it all just depends on the survey itself. 
Um, we could only go as far as the data lets us. So, you know, we. But if you've got if you've got if you've got deep drill holes providing you data from depth, you can you you get. Um, are your targets basically? Are your targets generated in three dimensions? Is what I'm asking. Yeah. So, uh, Merlin, our targets are currently generated in two dimensions. Not not because of our limitation in technology, but primarily because of the limitation on data available at depth below 200 meters. The geoscience kind of has a limitation, right? If you're doing a mag survey, unless you're doing a mag survey once you're underground, then you have further 200 meters. So it's really like the AI, and I like to say this all to other geologists as well, look, we're doing this, we're having the same input that you do in your process. And the limitations that you have are the same limitations the AI would have, which is whatever the data is and is going to rule what the outcome is. And that's data in, garbage in, garbage out is very important for us. So a lot of cases, we're very careful about what data we input uh, to prevent any kind of odd anomaly happen because the data was incorrect. But really, it, like Nathan said, 200 meters of the, the, the mag is kind of our limitation. But if you have a mag that penetrates deeper, we're able to look at the relationship of the drill data along with the mag, and that's kind of what makes a difference. But if the mag only goes 200 meters, the drill data can go two kilometers and won't make a difference because all we have is drill data, but no other uh, data that can make, make the relationship between that drill data. And that this is the same limitation I think a geo would have when they're in a table sitting around looking at it because they can they understand that some of this geophysical data is, has limitations. They can't make, a, um, I guess, projections on what would happen 600 meters into the ground when only the yeah. data only covers 200. Yeah, although you... <laughs> <laughs> you get geological teams doing hail mary drills, um, drill holes on, um, you know, <laughs> on structure, you know, because because if if you're on a mesothermal vein or something, which is for or an orogenic gold system, you've got a very good expectation that this is going to have a, a depth continuity, um, and so some of the deep holes do go down to test structure, but um, um, I guess uh, it's the same thing, you know, um, you're taking a risk on the edges of your data available data set. Um, <clears throat> there's quite a lot of fancy stuff that you can do in some of these geochemical programs like IOGAS. Um, you know, you can pull out these advanced correlations. Um, similarly, you said your background wasn't in, well, you said your background was in other businesses. So um, can you kind of describe what you've brought to the business? And am I right in thinking that you've had a kind of a, a change or you've been instrumental in changing the way that the system functions in the last 12 months? Yeah, yeah. So I think the way I, I put it is that the company was in deep R&D, and that takes a lot of effort. And we all know, you know, sometimes technology is a hype cycle, and then it goes down. But luckily, we're the ones where the hype cycle and the technology is kind of coming together. But uh, for the longest time, the team was spending all of the energy on understanding if a technique would work, not about scaling a technique, right? And that's a two different businesses and you can see people come in to run one business and they have to leave because of the growth and the change. And that's kind of what happened. I think and I was brought in because I have a lot of experience working in machine learning and data and AI. I got introduced to AI through Dr. Jeffrey Hinton, who's kind of like the godfather of, of I would say neural networks, uh, works at University of Toronto. And he kind of opened my eyes up to kind of what's possible. And this was seven, eight years ago. And ever since then I switched my career and I worked in renewable energy. I worked in uh, finance. I worked in trading. Uh, live trading within, you know, sub 30 second, sub minute. 
uh, making decisions and building AI technology to do that. And you can see that the, the challenge there would be very different than the challenge here because we have the time. But what, what it does allow, what it did allow me to do is get all the experience and know what doesn't work, what works, how you scale it, and how can you do it the quickest. Uh, and, and it's funny because we tell our investors, look, at Toko is, you know, like a year to year at the technology. Like, okay, cool. So what? Well, the reality is in a real world, when you don't come from that example, you have to fail five, six times. It would take you three years. And I think what we've been able to do is cut the time down and process from like anywhere from 12 to 16 weeks to uh, in and around two, two weeks or even under depending on the data set and, and the scenario and how well the data is packaged from our clients. And I think the advantage that it gives us from a business perspective is capacity, right? If, to, you know, if yesterday, last year, someone came to us and say, look, we want to do five projects, we'd be like, sorry, we can only do four <laughs> in the whole year for you. But now it's like, you want to do five? Okay, cool. We, we, can do, we can do 40 if you wanted us to. But where that comes from is knowing, you know, building systems at scale. You know, one of our team members just built one of the largest AWS databases in, in hosted in Canada for one of the largest clients. And, uh, and the same team, we had folks that have built real-time systems of energy trading, which, like I said, sub one minute decision making. So you have an algorithm that's live in environment based looking at everything in real time. I think all those things we're able to put together into this and allow us to build a system that would give us leverage, not only on the tech side, but also on the business side. And the example of the business side on the tech side is that we had a client right before spring, uh, sorry, right before uh, winter, first snowfall, they said, look, we kind of last minute had an idea, but we want to explore our targets. Can you just do this? And we had to, we said, okay, let's put everything down, get the results to them in a week. It was going to snow in two weeks. We got them the results and they're able to go and explore some of those, those areas and find anomalies and take the rock samples. And you can see how much that accelerated the program because the, the opposite of this is waiting until spring to do the same thing. And that advantage gives you uh, I think a lot of companies will be like last minute, like, ah, shoot, okay, like maybe the drill hole didn't go right. Can you just go look at this? Give us another set of uh, target zones we can explore so we don't waste all of our money and get at least one positive result out of it, right? What you're effectively providing is a um, is a uh, set of comforting uh, rankings to targets to to validate a team's own thinking. So uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of just learning. <clears throat> learning about what you're what you're doing from what i from what i gather you're saying is that the company will produce um their own thinking and they will say but well, actually can you just sense check this and you'll take their data set and in a short space of time sometimes less than two weeks you can validate the drill targets or the next step targets if that's what they're doing which isn't drilling yeah. is, is that more or less right yeah and i think it depends like there there's different use cases that's one good use case we have tons of examples for but uh, there are other use cases where you're like the example we talked about in, in Norway where Playfair it's like they didn't know where to go there's just so much land they said okay how, how do we start that's another use case another use case is we worked with this large um, operator out of India and they said look we know where our main ore body is but can you find extensions can you find other mineralization within the same zone right or within the same area that we have so that's another use case and uh, the one that you're talking about is Nathan maybe you can we can jump into it is the Canon nickel example is kind of that where the team had a model that they felt like was good but they said okay let's get an unbiased view because unlike other geologists uh, where someone will have a bias on a certain type of mineralization, our technology doesn't have a bias in it of a certain type of mineralization. It looks at the raw data only and then uses the raw data to make an interpretation. And 
in some ways, the geologists look at that as an unbiased view at the data, right? And maybe I could show show this, and Nathan, you can walk the Merlin, if that's I mean, okay with you. Yeah, yeah, please. It also takes their personalities out of it because, um, yeah, it, it makes it very neutral, doesn't it? Yeah, that's and that uh, we feel like that's another use case we play into, right? And one is the early exploration, one is extensions, one is, hey, why don't we just have an unbiased view, unbiased look at the data without uh, some, some geologist experience who's made, made three discoveries in a certain type of mineralization. Yeah. Nathan. Mer Merlin, as you know, uh, you get three geologists on an outcrop, you get six interpretations. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this is just a really good example of exactly what Simran was just talking about. So what you can see is this Canada Nichols project. Um, this is back when they were doing, uh, you can see the two land packages first to back up uh, in the black outline. Um, we took out the middle area because it's a power line. It skews the magnetic data. So um, you can see the little gray dots all over the screen. Those are existing data points that we used. And some of them are, some, some are drill holes, some are not. Um, they came to us um, and asked us to, you know, to look at some of the work and really help validate their current thesis, as well as, are we missing something? Is there something else out there? So um, maybe we could move to the next slide and we could. So after we, we crunched the data, you know, we took all of the layers, all of the regional data, because we, we, we don't necessarily have to just be bound to Canon Nichols um, um, proprietary data. You know, we can, we can scan a larger area and this is close to Timmins. So we have plethoras of uh, open source and public data. So we utilize a lot of data. We don't just utilize proprietary. So having said that, we came back with them with this and said, hey, these are the targets that we believe are high priority on your project. Um, they line up with some geological context. Um, they make sense to us. What do you guys think? So having said that, um, they went back. You can see the green dot or the, sorry, the yellow um, hash lines and they drilled it. And after they drilled the, the really high, large target, they found probably one of Canada's best nickel, uh, like high tonnage, low grade nickel deposits. It's an unbelievable project to be part of. Um, and we felt, you know, we were instrumental in helping them get their discovery that they deserve. So it's just another really good example of us working with the geological team and just helping accelerate the program. Because uh, how long did it take, Simran, from our target to them pretty much putting out that resource? It wasn't I that think, many years. No, it, it was within a year, year and a half. Yeah. Which is, uh, which and is I think excellent. the good part there was the geology team had their own models, right? And, and it just so happens that our model, their model made a lot of overlaps, except you can see certain areas like here, they didn't think their models had anything, so they didn't go there. Uh, and here we think they have low grade, so they didn't spend too much money themselves. We can see here where we think is a higher grade, they also also thought that same. Great, thank you, that's so interesting. Um, thank you. Um, right, so how do investors make money by buying shares in Windfall? You know, what's the, what's the, what's the business model? <clears throat> I think the business model is sort of threefold here. The number one part of the business model is for us to generate value in the immediate for, for our customers, which will just give us cash. And it's not always nice to have cash so you can try to get to break even as soon as possible. But the real the real value is we're trying to build an asset portfolio, right? And that asset portfolio includes royalties, that includes actually having stakes in properties, right? Or optioning off your properties that you may have found using public data 
to 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 a client who's interested in doing exploration in in an area that's highly probable, so they want to increase their chances. And I think what what happens in those scenarios, we we get to take equity and we also take royalty if possible. And the equity component we try to do in all of our deals anyway, because what we call, we like to have skin in the game is what I call it. I want to have skin in the game. I want the client to know, look, we'll take a little bit of, of cash up front, but until we, you hit something successful, we won't take the rest of the money because we're happy to put our money where our mouth is, right? To say, look, we only take it when you're, you're successful because when you're successful, you won't mind paying us a little bit extra anyway. <laughs> and I think what, what that allows us to encompasses that. And I've talked to some shareholders that I've expressed that to myself. It's like, look, I'm not going to be able to research every single junior mining company in the world and how many bets can I really make? My goal, the, the way I look at your stock is you're making a bet that I can probably close my investment account and look back at it in five years. Because if you pick the right companies, if you pick 10 of them and you work with them and you increase the chances of success, then they're likely to go up. And for me, that's better than me trying to pick 10 companies because how many, how much more equity can I hold in those companies and how do I know which one's which? And sometimes I just don't know enough, right? And it, they, they kind of see us as this long-term hold uh, on the on the metals and junior mining market, and I think that's a fair fair sort of assessment because we have the asset portfolio that we hope will pay out in the midterm and the long term, and we're hoping that this year especially that we're able to generate in, enough cash that we we can stay cash flow neutral and not have to worry about sort of burning too much money and and that and that's really the goal and I think investors see it that way as well. We're a long term asset play. It's a get rich slow scheme. <laughs> Um, what's the your burn rate? Yeah, the burn is about one point five to one point six uh, million a year. Canadian, um, Canadian, yes. And uh, last year was a bit of an odd uh, year because I had to come in, build a team. The spend was a little bit higher because you're making yeah. some investments that you may not, maybe may have not made up to that point because we're getting ready for scale instead of getting ready for R and D. Um, this year, our hope is the burn remains similar or lower, if anything. And uh, we try to generate enough revenue that we don't have to worry about kind of every year kind of hoping to raise money or something. Yeah, yeah. That's our big goal. That's our big goal this year. We have to push really hard to be able to get there. And uh, Nathan, are you the only geologist in the team or are, them, uh, are you? have you got um, uh, some company amongst all the techie guys? Yeah, I have, I have some company. There is a couple other uh, geologists in the team, so it helps to... Uh, What's really interesting too is that when we do a project or a camp or an area that we're really interested in, um, we actually do our interpretation separately, and then we meet after, and we like to see where uh, where where did you see this? Where did you see this? And what do you think? And it's kind of like I said, you know, you get a couple of geologists together, you get multiple interpretations. But what that does is it gives us more confidence because sometimes there is noise um, when when we do the when we do the uh, the interpretation the AI the AI work and the signatures created at the end so we have to remove that because we want to give the client what we think is the best target we're not just going to give you some of the garbage that's spit out at the tail end of the process we want to make sure that it makes sense geologically does it line up with structures um, does it does it sit in an area that makes sense from the magnetic signatures so you know we still have to do the interpretation and then the client has to do that as well so um, it is nice to have a couple other geos to to bounce the idea off of. <laughs> so, just 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 talk me through that. So, let's say you've got three geologists in the team, and if you run a data set, you'll all get the same interpretation. You'll all get the same heat map, and then each of you will go away and interpret that heat map. Is that right? Correct. Correct. Yeah, and, and then then we'll, then, then, we'll, then we'll meet up after, and then you. Then what's the finished product that gets sent to the client? Is it the different? Is it the report that accompanies the heat map? Yes. 
and it also we also um our final deliverables are in ArcGIS compatible format too so very easy to plug into any exploration program so which will have all the layers <clears throat> yeah. yeah go ahead Sorry, like the shape, shape files and grid files that you can you can take, you can load up and say you want to look because the, the pink and the red are the hottest areas, the highest similarity. So you can crank up to a 99% and look at all the targets that we felt are similar to 99% of the style mineralization we were looking for. Then you can lower that down. So you can drag that down to say 65 or 70%. And what that does is it starts to bring in the yellow and the green pixels. And for me, I like to do that, like you saw at the Crawford example, because it shows you the general trend. If you're only looking at the really hot spots, it's hard to see the bigger picture. And as we know, you, as geologists, you need to understand the system before you start drilling. And if I like to really dial it back, take a look at the broader scale, and then dial it back in and kind of start from there. Um, and we all do that. And then we all meet back up and we share our interpretations. And then we all come to an agreement and then we, we, meet, we meet, meet with the client and move forward. Yeah, and when we do the client presentation, we can we do look. This is what we think the raw results are. This is our interpretation. Before we do our interpretation, let us know what you think, and then we share our interpretation, saying, "Okay, yeah, we don't think maybe that one's a little bit noise, so let's let's ignore that, because that that does happen here here and there. Because at the end of the day, these are mathematical models. They're not uh, they're not binary in its sense. They have uh, um, you know, it's like, oh, look, we know it's eighty five percent chance this way, and we have to be able to show, showcase that to the client so they, they don't see it as a binary outcome because it's not. It's all based on modeling. And what's also really fun too is that we don't want to see their targets first. We don't want to see what they like because we want to make sure that we're not biased, right? So it's always really fun when we present to the client after is they're like, oh, your, your target lines up with our target. That just gives them more, more validity, right? It gives them more confidence to go there now. And then the best part is when we show them something that they didn't even think about. And then we describe to them why we think it's a high priority target from a structural point of view, a geological, a geophysical, what have you. So it's it's really fun process. It really is cool. Thank you guys. It's really interesting. Um, in this year, in, in, in 2022, how much are you going to be spending on your own kind of target generation, putting your own portfolio together? And how much is it going to be on client work? I'd like to have like a good 50-50 split in an ideal world, but who wouldn't, right? But, uh, you know, the earlier in the year, we had actually more client work than we did internal because we we, 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 got, we got a lot of clients that wanted to get an outcome uh, before they got into the season in spring, and they wanted some time to review that outcome. So we had to kind of process that up front. But then we also still do our own projects. So I would say it, it, the aim is 50-50 because we feel like we can generate enough cash if we do enough of the clients and enough of the internal work. And the one thing about internal work is that sometimes it you know, the fruits are really good in the labor. Sometimes it's bad. And what I mean by that is you can do an area and we, we do large, large mining camps and we can have some good targets. And unfortunately, sorry, everything is taken and you can't do anything. In other cases, we're like, oh, look, uh, we have some claims that we can use uh, as a way to option off to someone or just say, look, why don't you just buy the target and uh, we'll do a scan for your project as well. And I think uh, there's still net benefit to the outcome but it's just that uh some of our investors may not always hear about that because we do five internal projects sometimes literally we'll re redo the one job and redo another one and do five of them and then compare them and then use that assessment to be able to stake some ground or something or option it off to someone and some of those things take like a year to fruit 
come to fruition. Meaning we've done it. We've taken the stake and claims. And then there's like 15 teams viewing each one of the claims to see, okay, do we want to option this or not? Do we want to take this and buy it? And and those things, as you know, uh, are driven by sort of how much capital there is, what's happening in the in the market cycle. And it go, is a gold price high or is the nickel price low? <laughs> Uh, so you know what I mean, and that process can take a while. Uh, but to uh, simply, again, our aim is fifty-fifty. We sometimes do more internal because we have more control over the data. We have it, you know, we don't have to do the formalities with our clients to be able to present. So, but but at the end of the day, those the fruition to that labor is not always seen because our investors are like, hey, okay, where's the press release? But we can't do a press release unless we feel comfortable, comfortable and confident in who's taking our claims, what they're doing with it. Another interesting point to add to that before we move on is that we're getting return clients now. So people are happy with our work. They're seeing what we're doing. They love what we're doing and they want to do it again for their next project. They want to make us their AI, you know, go-to company. And that's what we want the entire industry to do at some point in time here is, you know, windfall is this, is the guy to go to. And, you know, is the company that can do this for us. So having that gives us more confidence and more validity at the end of the day too. So uh, it's pretty exciting. And the repeat customers is interesting, right? Because I come from a, a the world of just software where it's, you'll do something and within a month, you'll know if it's successful. <laughs> so you get a repeat client or maybe six months at most. But in, it's interesting in our case, it's like repeat clients are like, oh, hey, we, I, I got a call like two months ago. It's like, hey, we worked with you about nine years ago. We want to do it again now because we're on the next project. And it's really silly. And Merlin, you understand that, right? Like you're not going to move off a project for years and years until you get to that stage of, okay, we found something or we know we didn't find anything and then move on, right? And, and repeat clients is like, you can only get repeat clients in this business if you've existed for more than 10, 15 years. Otherwise, you don't even have a chance. Yeah. Great. Um, guys, well, thank you so much. Um, it's been really fascinating. Um, and I wish you all the best of um, good luck for 2022. Thanks for having thank us, you. Merlin. Yeah, thanks a lot. Appreciate it.